So Genesis chapter 42, and we'll start here. Um, well, before we get to the questions, anything that wasn't in the questions that you wanted to mention or bring up? Yes. It's probably a small detail, but uh, made a comment that it was probably it's probably been 14 or 15 years since he saw his brothers. Yeah. Yeah, 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 so I wasn't doing my math right this morning. Um, so, right, so just so you know where I was getting the two from is in Genesis, I think it's 44. Right, uh, so the time markers were that he is 30 years old in... 41:46, and then it is the news that he sends to his father and says that there have been already two years of famine. There's five yet to go. So it would be at the time that he summons Jacob back, two years of famine have elapsed, seven years of plenty, so that's nine, Right? and added to the 13. So 22 by the time Jacob shows up. So yes, uh, even longer than I was saying that all of these things were going on. So, yep. Yes. What do you mean Joseph? Because he's been in Egypt for so long. Um, if you learn a language when you're young, you can usually remember big chunks of it later on. But yeah, that is a good point, something I hadn't thought about. So uh, he knew enough of it to know more or less what they were saying. But if you ever try to learn a foreign language, sometimes you can understand what's being said even if you can't always say all of the things back to them. So that's a good question. Yes? Right. Right. Yeah. Yes, Jerry. Sure. So, um, yeah, I mean, definitely it's one of those things where why did he recognize them and they didn't recognize him? I think those are definitely some of the factors going into it. Yes? hard to say, you know? I mean, it depends. Like, there's a lot of things that can go into that. Like, has the person been sick? What have they done in the course? Though? I mean, there's all sorts of factors. I mean, it could simply be God was like, hey, these are your brothers. But the text doesn't say that. But that's a Right, yeah. I don't know. I think Jared was the first. 17 and somewhere around 17, yeah. 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 I was just thinking that's probably part of it. He went from a teenager, not fully grown, to probably he might not even have facial hair. But, you know, he just 
Right. But the other thing is they weren't anticipating seeing him. Yeah. They were anticipating he was dead. Yeah, right. So even though I got the math wrong, that was the one thing I did say was true with regard to the <laughs> <laughs> All right, anything else? All right, going to the first question there. Why did Jacob not send Benjamin down to Egypt with his brothers? Maybe one of the kids can answer this. Why didn't Jacob send Benjamin down? Braden? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, showing favoritism. Okay, good. Maybe one of the other kids. Do you think that was right or wrong for Jacob? Maggie? Okay, why do you think it was wrong? Yeah, he's sending them somewhere dangerous on the journey for sure and not knowing what would happen in Egypt. Good. Any other thoughts on that point? That probably sums it up pretty well. Corey, go ahead. So that's kind of been the tension, I think, among the brothers, because by birth should have been Reuben. Reuben betrays his father, so then we would think it would be Simeon. Simeon, which is something that occurred to me just now, now he's down in Egypt, so he's like, okay, the one that should have got it by is not going to get it because of what he did to me. The next one in line to get it by birth order, not going to get it because he's down in Egypt. You guys want to get rid of the one I want to give it to. I mean, think about all that as he's saying things at the end of the chapter. So it's hard to know what Jacob would have done if things didn't turn out the way they did in the text. But there was, seemed to have been this strong sense among the brothers that he was going to pass over them and do what he wanted to do with the inheritance. So, which is an interesting point to discuss in the next few chapters, which is uh, Joseph giving his brother way more stuff than the other brothers. Again, we can talk about that next week, though, so. No, that's a good point to bring up. All right, number two. Why does Joseph accuse his brothers of being spies? Maybe one of the kids can answer this. Yeah, Ben. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was arguing for this morning. I think he was trying to test them. Any other thoughts on this? Why did he accuse them of being spies? Because some people say he's doing it to be selfish, but what? Okay. <laughs> right, right. He's in charge. The big cheese with the shaved head, right? Yeah. Possibility? Sure. I don't know what that about, Tina. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So he accuses them of being spies, and then he hides money in their bags. What's that about? They are paid spies. Braden? 
Sure. Yeah, Jerry. Okay, another test. Okay. Paul? Yeah. Okay, good. Oh, sorry. Do you think of it, Lenny? Yes. Yeah, to clarify, I said that's what one of the commentaries said. I, yeah. Right. which has echoes of the Jacob and Esau thing, which intensifies Jacob's unwillingness to send Benjamin. He's not going to do it if he doesn't at least a little bit trust them by this point, um, despite what he says here at the end of the chapter. Something else interesting one of the commentary said was um, it would have been interesting for them going back to Canaan that they had money in their bags and a brother left behind in light of what they had done to Joseph, right? We've got money but no brother. Okay, you know, was it worth it the second time around? Which, some of it was obviously out of their control. Yes, well. I'm sorry, I thought you had your hand. No, well, I didn't raise my hand, but I was thinking about something else. It didn't make things easier. It actually made things harder for Jacob to release Benjamin to go based on the fact that they still had their money. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems that because of their all 
Yeah. Right. There's no food anywhere else, right? It's like when you're in Monopoly, when you're in Monopoly and or uh, one of those other games. You're like, yep, I've got the resources. You got to come talk to me and yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. So for testing and to uh, I think to stir their consciences. I think God's using it in that way. Why does Joseph confine Simeon? What's the connection between Simeon, Reuben, and Judah? that we know of from the story so far. So, uh, Braden, you have one of the things? Okay, so that's definitely part of it. What else? Yes? Okay, good. What else? It doesn't say, right. So it's another of those questions that think about, there's some, we can come up with a list of reasons. We're not going to, get into a fight over it after church because, you know, yeah. Well, we could, but hopefully not, yeah, right? Okay. Uh, the, I was talking to somebody this morning, I think, and I said, when I go through the passage, I try to write down the questions that I would have if I was you sitting there listening, and I try to answer those questions because I feel like sometimes commentaries and especially study Bibles for whatever reason, sometimes skip those things. They're like, what do I really want to... There's no note on that. So, and uh, not because we can answer all the questions, but because if they're going to be in our minds anyway, we might as well, might as well talk about them briefly. So, uh, Number four, how do they interpret Simeon's imprisonment? Their own imprisonment, but Simeon's especially going forward. Yeah, it's caught up with us finally. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, how do they interpret finding their money in the bags? We've talked about that a little bit. They see it as God's hand. It puts them in a bad spot. How does Jacob respond to these things? What's his take on the whole circumstance? Braden? Maybe. What, why do you say that? Okay, that's definitely a possibility. What do we think? Yes? Yeah. Even this far along, he still has kind of a selfish outlook on things, right? We'll talk more about that in application questions about, you know, do we ever really truly deal with sin? But anything else? So kind of a selfish perspective, potentially mistrust of the sons. Sort of you've put me in an impossible situation, right? here's what I want, and here's what has to happen, and that is not going to fit together well, right? Okay. And then we come to this next question. Is Reuben's response to his father Jacob surprising based on his earliest, earlier behavior? What do you think? Paul? I think Reuben's finally stepping up to his role as the oldest. Okay. 
Yeah. Yeah. Because if he had really tried, could he have probably persuaded the rest of the brothers not to even sell Joseph into slavery? Yeah. He could have, whatever errand he leaves on, that he doesn't know that Joseph's gone, he could have, like, pulled Joseph out of the pit, taken him with him. I mean, it would have cost him something, right? The other brothers could have killed both of them, but... Um, yeah, any, any other thoughts on Reuben, his role, his response in this? I do think we see a development of character in Reuben between his betrayal of his father in chapter 35, his kind of attempt to save Joseph in 37, and now his willing to make great personal sacrifice here in chapter 42. So, jumping away from Genesis for a moment, back to Wednesday night, just by way of discussing that briefly. Uh, we looked at Psalm 63. We talked about this idea of longing for God as for water in a dry and weary land. And I just wanted to ask this question, what are some things that would make us not long for God like someone longing for water in a desert in a wilderness? Okay. Yeah, sure. Great. Uh, so this is an image. So uh, it's, a, it's a picture. Like, like you want water in the desert, we should want God. So why don't we always want God that much? That's what I'm trying to ask. Okay. So we don't have strong needs because we have lots of stuff. So our, yes, Jared? That's, that's what I'm wanting to get at. What specific things are that for you? The distractions that keep you away from wanting God. Just lay some of them out there, yeah? Too much going on. It's so far out of work. And you've got this project at home and all this going on. And okay. And it's interesting when you look at our culture versus other cultures. There are cultures that are more prioritized around people and not as prioritized around schedule. For better or for worse, I had a friend who had a wedding down in Mexico that started two hours after the appointed time because the people that were needed to be there for the wedding to happen weren't there yet. That poses all sorts of logistical issues from our perspective, but there is something to be said for prioritizing people over schedule. In our culture, though, we have to recognize where we're at. Mike, what else? Okay. And so they don't feel the need to feel 
Pastor Jerry? Okay, so on that point, how many times have you needed to spend time with your wife or kids or neighbor or whatever else, and you have seen that person as an obstacle to you reading a book, watching something on Netflix, doing some hobby that you enjoy? I think these are the kinds of things that become the distractions that make us not want to love God. Is it wrong? us to read a book? Can we say reading a book is across the board sin? No. Can we say even that watching TV in and of itself is sin? I mean, there is TV that we could watch that is sin, but across the board, can we completely exclude all of it and say it's all sin? No. But because all of these things are so readily accessible for us, we feel pressure that we need to partake in all of them. So, just case of observation, uh, or an example. If you go on Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, whatever, you may find yourself marking off, I'd like to watch this one, and this one, and this one, and this one, and you could spend 20, 30 minutes just marking off the things that you want to look at later instead of actually doing something. We can do the same thing with the thing that's become a distraction to us, spend a lot of time with it instead of what's important with God, or we can do the same thing with God. Here's the thing that I ought to do with regard to God. Like, I want to think more about prayer, or I want to think more about sharing the gospel, or I want to do this or this. And we make a great list, but we're not actually doing the thing we're supposed to do. And so, along that vein, books connected with the Bible are great, but we need to read the Bible. Books about how to pray are great, but we need to pray. And all of the other things that are so readily available to us and in the world around us, many of which are not always sinful, when they become this um, white noise that drowns out what's most important, that's, I think, part of why we don't yearn for God, like Psalm 63 talks about. So, All right, moving on for sake of time to the, the next question back in Genesis 42. Jacob still loved Benjamin more than his brothers. Why wasn't Jacob completely done with favoritism? Okay. But God's been working at him for a while on this. Why, why hasn't he gotten it together? And I agree with you. That, I think, is the underlying issue. But why is he still dealing with this, Tina? Okay. 
So when there was two, maybe it was held a little bit more loosely, but now he's the only one left and he's like, I'm not letting this one go. Okay, good, Jerry? Yeah. The wife he loves the most and her sons, he's got one left and that's it. Braden? Okay. Good. Broad, broad discussion real quick and then I'll, I'll get to you, Paul. Are we... How do we view the process of change and growth? I think there's two errors. One is, people can never change, it's just who they are. The other is, just because God says we can change, that it's going to be easy, and it's going to be neat and clean, and we just sort of move past it, and we never have to deal with it again. And the reality is, we can change, but there's a lot of hard work, and many times it can keep cropping up later on, right? Paul, what were you going to say? Okay. Right. Yeah. So I think we need to recognize that if there's particular sins that we struggle with, we shouldn't assume that they're fully gone when they may yet keep cropping up. Bob, did you say something? Just thinking that how much interaction he had with God, how much history there was of his dad. I mean, this is outright idolatry. He's idolizing his son because of the association. There's almost no comments about God anywhere from him. And it, you know, it's it's easy to say, well, he's a sinner and he granted, but it's so disappointing. Yeah. And I, I'm sure you all could say the same thing about me, but I'm just so disappointed in him. Right. That's something else that struck me when we were looking at this passage, right? His, his, the way the passage starts out, the way the kind of sort of the selfishness at the end. We'll talk about this more next week, this statement of if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. What happens, happens. He gets called before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's like, who are you? And he's like, well, I've had a short and miserable life, but I guess it's been okay. I mean, we expect better, Jacob, you know. But um, Jacob in the Bible, not any other Jacobs you may have known, since I have to clarify that whenever I mention Paul. <laughs> Corey. At least to risk him, right? Yeah. Good. The other part of the question here. Simeon was imprisoned for a long time before his brothers returned to Egypt in Genesis 43 and following. Even if Jacob didn't punish Simeon's cruelty in Genesis 34, who did? God did, through Joseph, right? And not punish as in a one-for-one. One. He didn't execute a death penalty on him, but... At the very least, he gives him a long opportunity to reflect on what he's done. And what should these two things, the, the sin cropping up after we think it's been dealt with, and uh, we think that we'll get away with stuff but not really, how should those two ideas affect 
our attitude toward our sin. And we tend to think that's true for everybody else except us, right? And um, here's the irony. We can even, in the midst of knowing what's true, we can have this sort of truth pop into our mind in the midst of being tempted, and we can still, in that moment, sometimes say, you know what, I don't care. I really want to do this anyway. And at that moment, I think there is... I mentioned idolatry with regard to Jacob's favoritism. There is an element of idolatry of saying, I know God hates this. I know Jesus had to die to pay for this. I know all these people that it didn't work out for. But I still really want to do this. And um, we tend not to be that honest when we're in the midst of temptation with what we're actually doing. And if we can be that honest and we still say, yeah, I'm going to do it anyway then there's a real problem that we have to stop and deal with by God's help, right? Third question there. How was God meeting the physical needs of Leah's sons? How was God testing their character regarding their love for one another and Rachel's sons and Jacob? Does God do the same work for us today? And how should we respond to this kind of testing? This is where I was trying to draw in some parallels between this passage and John 6, what Joseph did with his brothers, what Jesus did with his disciples. Hopefully that connection made sense, but um, what are your thoughts about this last question, set of questions here? Tried to kill, right? Mike. Even so, that, that through this, God has made not only flesh, but to almost um, feel guilty and mourn the loss of their brother. 
there's still a wariness even when we come down to like chapter 50, right? They're, they still don't entirely trust him, but but they've, they're, they're starting to see what God's doing, right? Right, right, right. What else? Any other thoughts about these questions? Does God do the same kind of work for us today? Does he ever at the same time provide for our physical needs and work on our hearts in a spiritual sense? What does that look like? Yeah? Okay. 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 Good. Yeah. I would say too. It's interesting reflecting how God has used someone else sinning against me to grow me, and how He's used me sinning against them to grow them, and just how He just works so masterfully. Not that we should seek to sin, obviously. Right. up there. Let's close with a word of prayer and then we'll sing our, our closing hymn. Lord, we thank you for the truths of your word. We pray that they will continue to convict our hearts this week. When we are tempted, that we would remember the truths about sin. When we are humbled by the way that you meet our needs and deal with our hearts in, in need of maturity and continue to grow in Christ-likeness, they would remember that you were doing the same work even in this thing that we were looking at, this chapter, this week. We pray that you would bless us as we follow you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.